if you guys will turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation 21. We'll read from several parts of this and we'll kind of walk through it tonight. Um, this semester has been a little bit of a blur for me, I'm going to be honest with you. Um, we had a baby this semester, among other things. And um, so, I, I mean, I'm pretty sure that what I'm about to tell you is what we've done on Wednesday nights. I'm about to give you a little recap of what we've done. But I'm not totally sure, just because it's kind of a blur to me, okay? Make sense? Um, but this semester, if you've been here and if you haven't, we've really been kind of taking a walk through what we've called the story of Scripture. So how the Bible kind of moves um, sort of the plot line of the Bible. How the Bible moves is one co- consistent, sort of coherent story. Um, we begin with the creation account. And that kind of sets up the whole thing. A very good God creates the world. Um, and He blesses the world. He creates people to honor and glorify Him. He gives them a job to do. And that happens at creation. We moved on and looked at the fall. This is Genesis 3. When the people that God had made to glorify Him decide they want their own glory instead. And they disobey Him. And we learn that sin and death and evil and brokenness enter into our world. Um, from there, we took a look at sort of what what sin and, and death really sort of means and, and just a further look into that um, in Romans 1. Um, so I know that was like a jump ahead. But then we went back and we started talking about the story of Israel and how God created um, a people. He called them Israel. as a particular nation, a particular family of people. And by them, He was going to bring redemption and salvation to the whole world. You guys remembering this? Shake your heads in if you are. Okay, cool. Awesome. Um, we looked at the way that Israel failed to be that particular people to, to be agents of God's redemption in the world. Um, how they chose to, again, rebel against God, disobey Him. They wanted their own sort of king rather than letting God be their king. And that led them into all kinds of trouble. Um, but we looked in spite of that how God promised that He would bring salvation and restoration to them. And then we took a look at Jesus and how Jesus came bringing his kingdom in the cross of Christ. Um, How redemption kind of came to its climax. Um, Then we looked at the story of the resurrection and new life. Um, And now we're at sort of the final scene, the final chapter of the story. Um, And it's the creation. Actually, maybe we could say it's new creation. A new heavens and a new earth. Um, So that's kind of where we pick it up right here. Um, We're going to read this together. We'll walk through it. Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the fatherless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. 
We'll move to verse 22. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring it into they will bring into it the glory and the honor of nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is a test for false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding each fruit each month, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun. For the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Let's pray. Lord, we do ask that now you'd teach us, Lord, and you'd show us what this all means. God, would it enliven our imagination. God, would it give us great hope. Lord, would it give us courage to endure. Um, God, would it make us people who live in light of new creation that's coming. Um, Lord, would you, just by the power of your Spirit, um, just do great things through your Word. Um, Lord, I pray that it would speak to us clearly. Um, Lord, we pray that just in your kindness and in your mercy, you take the words that I've prepared. Lord, would you make this your Word to us and for us tonight. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So, um, you know, I grew up going to church. And I'm just going to test a little, float a little theory out there. That was my experience, and just see if you guys can connect with this. I grew up going to church, and I'd always hear about heaven, okay? I'd always hear about one day we're going to go to heaven. And um, the way heaven was explained to me didn't sound that great. Um, The way it was explained to me is that heaven would be like, almost like a church service that would just last forever. And... And uh, when I got to thinking about a church service that would just go on and on forever, that didn't exactly sound like heaven to me, okay? That sounded like something else. Um, (laughs) Just the idea of kind of floating around in the sky somewhere at some church service that goes on and on, um, I don't know. I struggled with that. It wasn't something I really longed for. Maybe not something I really hoped in. Um, But I think the picture that's given here is, is different than that. Um, and certain parts of the picture is given here, you know, I think even in my own life, I'm only barely coming to a place where I can begin to hope in that. Um, I think there's something about, okay, this is where I'm going to get old on you. Um, I think there's something about when you get a little old and you, and you start growing up and you're out of college and you start living like as an adult, which I'm doing right now, um, you just really start to long for some things that only God can provide and only God can really do. And that's kind of what we have here. That's a picture of what we have here. That God will eventually make everything that's wrong right. Um, and there's, there's all kinds of rich symbolism. There's really so much in here. 
Um, I thought of different ways we could probably walk through this. Like, I tried to think of like thematic ways we could do it, you know, um, like God's presence, God's people, the place, I, you know, that those are three P's and I, I didn't know if that worked. And so I thought of all these ways to go through this and, but I figured a lot of that would really do a disservice to what's going on here. Um, cause it's just so beautiful and so rich. So we're just going to walk through just some, some some things of this passage. I hope that tonight what we say here just wets your whistle just a little bit to want to dive into this more. So everything I'm going to, I'm not even going to pretend that we're going to cover all the rich, beautiful things in here. Um, we're going to kind of take a stab at it a little bit at a time. Um, so a couple observations from this passage and we'll, we'll kind of figure out what that means for us. Um, I'll, first of all, check out verse 1. Um, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Um, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. Um, a new heaven and a new earth. You know, the destiny of human people, the destiny of God's people, is actually eventually an earthly destiny. Um, you know, there's, there's a certain degree in which we've kind of sort of heard talk of, of, you know, like I was saying earlier, floating away somewhere. But the picture given here is that heaven, um, it's a new heaven and it's a new earth. So in other words, heaven and earth, like the totality of creation is going to be made new. There's going to be new creation. But it's going to be very physical and material. Um, there will be resurrected bodies, we learn. Um, we're going to have physical bodies. There's going to be a physical place. Um, it's a new heaven, but it's also a new earth. Um, I mean, this is, this is interesting. Um, it's not a disembodied sort of spiritual existence, but there's a physical nature to it. Now, it's different. Um, scripture tells us right here that the first, heaven, the, the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Okay, I don't really know exactly what that means to say that they passed away. But somehow the earth that we live in now and the heaven and the earth, our created order, will be remade and recreated somehow. Um, that's kind of the picture given here. And, and look at this line. And, and the sea was no more. Okay, it might seem kind of random to you. I know personally me, I like the sea. I like the ocean. Um, I enjoy getting in ocean water and it's wild and, and cool and cold and all that sort of things. Um, but see, in the ancient world, the idea of the ocean and the sea, the sea was sort of a picture of things being chaotic and crazy and out of control. Um, in the ancient world, the sea was the place of darkness and chaos and fear. Um, there's lots of places in Scripture in which the sea kind of roars and God has to sort of tame the sea. Um, in the ancient world, in the ancient imagination, sea creatures and monsters and sea gods and goddesses sort of um, ruled in the ocean and sort of opposed sort of the order and stability of God. And, and what we hear right here is that that sea is, is no more. In other words, God's going to put away sort of all op- opposition and chaos and fear. Um, this is good news. And then look at at, at verse 3. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. The whole of Scripture, the whole of the story of Scripture is kind of getting us to this moment where God can be with his people and he can dwell with them. This is sort of the main event of heaven. Um, This new heavens and a new earth, this new creation. This is sort of the main event, the main objective, the main goal. Is that God and His people can dwell together in the same place. Um, throughout the story of Scripture we learn that because of sin, God has to be distant from His people. And His presence can only be sort of mediated to them through sort of a, uh, you know, an, a, like a layer of, of protection from, from His holiness. Um, because of the people's sin and uncleanliness, God can't be physically present in that. So there's all kinds of ways that God has to sort of 
meet with his people. Um, but what we learn here is that all those things are, are no more. That God can be actually physically present with his people. The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Um, you know, there's a lot of times we think of heaven. We think of the idea of heaven as being some place... You know, and you just hear talk of this. Like, heaven's a place where, you know, you hear guys who love golf. They say, in heaven there's going to be tons of awesome golf courses and great food and all this stuff. Well, the problem with thinking that way is that we can kind of think about heaven. Um, but, but what about this question? What if God wasn't in heaven? Um, would you still want to be there? And if your answer is like, yeah, sure, well, then you don't understand what the Bible's trying to do. The Bible's trying to bring God and his people together, not just give us some afterlife with a bunch of sort of pleasures. Um, in the biblical imagination, the, the main event of heaven is God and his people being dwelling together. Um, this is huge. This is important. This is tons of hope for us. It's, it's exciting. And look at verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Pain, mourning, crying, death, tears. Scripture here is calling those things, those things that are so much sort of normal in our world, these things that cause so much hurt and brokenness and pain, Scripture here says that those things are but former things. Um, I, got, I got on the news on CNN.com just to read some of the hurt and brokenness in our world in light of preparing for this. And just right off the top, the front page was a story of a mother and a son who actually were killed in car accidents the same day, but in two different places. I mean, how does that happen? Um, our world is very broken. You don't need me to tell you our world is very broken and bad things happen. I mean, in our church family here, I told you guys, I alluded to this last week, but um, a drunk driver plowed right in and nearly killed a lady in our church. Um, and it's just crazy how it happened because the only reason she was even on the road is because a storm came and her flight was delayed. And she should have already been gone, but her flight gets delayed till the next morning. And all this like crazy events happen and ends up with her getting um, killed and or almost killed and, and hurt. And I mean, there's a lot of brokenness and hurt in our world. Um, I, I read on CNN.com that some guy was poisoned randomly and died. Um, this famous former NFL football player killed himself um, just today. Um, there's, there's just all kinds of things. There's a massive healthcare fraud story right now where to the tune of $450 million, people have been cheating in the healthcare system. Um, there's a civil war going on in Syria. I mean, just all this awful, terrible stuff. There's a nuclear war on the verge in Iran that a lot of people think. I mean, these are just things, events that are, that are broken and they're hurtful and painful and mourning. And Scripture says that all those sort of things will eventually be no more. And think about in your own life. Think about all the personal things that you've experienced. All the hurt and pain and fear and, and tears that you've experienced. I mean, I think of myself sort of personally. Um, just in the journey I've been on this semester. I mean, Mandy and I had a baby this semester. Um, and our baby had to be in the intensive care unit for a couple of days. Um, and when I'm up there, I see all these other little babies with all these tubes hooked up to them. And hurt and brokenness and pain and crying are very much a normal part of our world. Um, I can think of times I've been in Haiti, and, and there's a place I go that is a center for malnourished children. And I remember just feeling this little malnourished girl's legs. And, and because she was so malnourished, she's actually really, really swollen, and these like sores and blisters are on her legs. I can just feel them right now, and just seeing this little girl, probably two years old, 
um, brokenness, pain. These, these things are so much a part of our world. But scripture here tells us that these things are but former things. They're going to pass away. And all those things in your life that cause you hurt and pain and brokenness, they're going to pass away. Um, those things are but former things because God himself will be with his people and he's going to wipe away tears from eyes. It's good news. Verse 5 says that he's making all things new. In verse 6 he says, he's, it's done. It's done. He's the Alpha and Omega. And look in verse 7. Um, in verse 7, or well, sorry, verse 6, he says, To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water life without payment. The idea of for the thirsty, those who thirst after God will eventually be fully and totally satisfied. You guys, I feel so unsatisfied so often. There's something in my heart that always feels empty and unsatisfied. God himself says he will satisfy, and he'll satisfy freely. And then there's the difficult verse of verse 8. Um, part of God making all things right involves judgment and punishment of, of those who rebel against him and remain unrepentant. Um, it's, it's not the most popular thing, but it's here. Um, part of him making all things right involves him bringing justice um, and judgment. And, and then from verses 9 to verse 21, we get this picture of jewels and beauty and, and these measurements. And all, all this is just to say that everything's whole, everything's complete, everything's beautiful, everything's the way as it is supposed to be. The city comes. The narrative of Scripture begins in a garden, but it ends in a city. Just this idea of movement toward fullness, toward completeness, toward wholeness. Um, and, and then we see in verse 22... Um, and I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. The idea of the temple it was the place where God's presence dwelled in a special way. Um, but what we see is that there's actually not a temple in the city because the Lord God is the temple. In other words, His presence, His, His access. Like, you're, like the people of God in this new heavens and earth have complete access to God. Um, fully, completely. Um, so therefore, the line in the new heavens and new earth between what's sacred... And what's secular is not, there's no line anymore. It's all together, um, full, complete, God's presence here completely. Verse 23, and the city had no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it its light. Um, the glory of God on full display. Look at verse 24, but its light will the, by its light will the nations walk. The kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Its gates will never be shut by day and there will be no more night. The nations will be able to be here in this new heavens and new earth. From the very beginning throughout the narrative scripture, we've seen all along that God's heart is for the whole world, all the nations. Um, and what we see here is that the nations are here. Um, the plan of God's global work of redemption has been accomplished in the here and now. Um, in verse 27 again, we hear that nothing unclean can enter it. Um, again, God's judgment um, is a part of Him making all things right. And if we just kind of move, move quickly through the last part in chapter 22, um, we hear that there's a tree in the middle of the city. Um, the, the, the story of Scripture began centered around this tree that was in a garden. Now this tree is in the city. Um, interesting that the early Christian church, the early church fathers, um, they're very interesting in the way they interpreted Scripture. And they couldn't help but hear of a tree, you know, which would be made of wood, and, and kind of see a clear allusion to the beauty of how the cross of Christ has, has made all this redemption possible. Um, verse 3, No longer will there be anything accursed. 
we've started off the semester, at least the second week, we talked about how because of sin and brokenness and disobedience, all of the world is under a curse. And what we hear here is nothing's a curse. The whole curse has been completely reversed here. Just a second ago, we said there was no night there. In in Scripture, especially in John's writings, um, night is a picture of, of darkness and evil. Um, for example, in John's Gospel, Judas goes out to portray Jesus and, and tells us a quick little line there and says, and it was night when he did this. It's a picture of darkness. But we, what we learn here is that there's, there's no more night. So, so, so sin and, and um, evil and, and darkness, there's, there's no more night. Um, and, and then just to move right back up to verse 4. Um, and and then again, this is... I said the main event is God being with His people, but probably the main, main, main part of that is verse 4. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. In the Bible, to see someone in the face is to know them as they truly are. And what Scripture promises us in verse 4 here is that we'll actually see Jesus' face. Um... You know, there's, there's a part of me that's really, really beginning to long for that moment. And you might not be there. Um, I think it's something God sort of slowly kind of creates in you, just a real desire to know Him as He really, really is. And there's a part of me that's just barely starting to long for that, to actually look at Jesus face to face. This idea of, of, of name, His name being on their foreheads, the idea of God's ownership. Um, over his people. One day God will eventually own us and he'll own us fully. If you're like me, you struggle because you feel to a certain degree that God owns you a little bit, but you struggle to let him own you fully and totally. But what we learn is in the new heavens and earth, we'll see his face um, and his name will be on our foreheads. He will own us completely and fully. And this is, this is what, we, what we learned. This is kind of the promise of a new heavens and new earth. God being with his people. Complete, total access to him. Everything made right. All the hurt and pain and brokenness gone. Beauty, completeness, wholeness. Knowing God as he truly is. Seeing him in his face. Um, it's just a ridiculously, almost hysterically beautiful, beautiful picture. It kind of concludes the story of Scripture. God will eventually fix it. It's really, really, really good news. Um, Suzanne and I... Suzanne and I went to seminary together at Beeson. I don't know if all you guys know that. um, Suzanne and I were in a class um, one time. and Our professor was just telling us about how... You know, he's just being honest and telling us that really God guarantees us very, very little... I mean, God promises us a lot, of, a lot of beautiful truths and things, but God doesn't guarantee us a lot. I don't know if you ever thought about that. Um, and he was kind of talking to us about this, and he was saying, you know, God promises slash guarantees that you will have a resurrected body in a new heavens and a new earth. And I'd add on to that, and that you will see Jesus' face. And there's not a lot else besides that that he guarantees you. He doesn't guarantee you a good job one day. He doesn't guarantee you an easy life. He doesn't guarantee you a wife or a husband or kids or healthy kids. Um, He doesn't guarantee you a life of tons of purpose and meaning. 
God promises us, sort of, at the end of all of it, He promises us a new heavens and new earth where everything's made right in His personal presence with us. And I think there comes a point where that begins to be sort of compelling and almost like it could be enough for you. Um, and I don't know, I think as we just journeyed through this story of Scripture, I mean, I think maybe that's the hope and that's the dream, that, that we would have gone through this and we've seen everything that God has done. We've seen that everything that God has done to bring redemption to His world, um, that we see the way that He's loved us and He's poured out His grace and His mercy upon us and He's set the whole thing right again. And He promises us His presence. And just as college students and as young adults... Um, that we'd really want to know this God. We'd really want to cling to Him. We'd really want to put all our hope in Him. Um, and that that would really, really be enough for us. That we'd really want to live our lives as sort of a little bitty part of this grand big story of redemption that He's kind of crafting and shaping. Um, and I think a text like this, the beauty of it, really makes that something real desirable. Um, so, what do, so what do we do? What do we do with such a beautiful picture? I want to just suggest just a few things. Um, in light of this, what do we do? I think a few things. One, just hope. There's a lot of things you can be hopeful about. Um, our world's broken, but based upon this text, there's a lot of things we can have hope. You guys are going to encounter difficult things in your life if you haven't already. Things that you're not sure that you can really bear. Um, but a text like this gives us a lot of hope. And, and it also lets us sort of endure. Um, so hope, also endure. Revelation was originally written to the church in a really difficult situation. They're being persecuted. It very much does not look like God rules and reigns in the world. And Revelation was written to tell the people of God to hope, but also to endure, to hold on, to be faithful. Um, and that's the call to you and to me tonight. To hope, but yes, but also to endure, to be faithful, um, to hold on. Just hang in there, okay? Just hang in there. Keep pursuing Jesus. Um, hang in there. He's going to make everything right. Hang in there. Um, I know it's hard. Hang in there. A, a third thing, just long for Him. And that's not even something you can conjure up. It's not like you're like, you wake up in the morning and go, okay, one, two, three, long for Him. I know it doesn't work that way. Um, but just pray that God would give you an appetite for this Revelation 22-4 moment that you'll see His face. Ask God to give you an appetite. I'm telling you, in my own life, I feel like I'm only barely having that kind of appetite. I wish I had it more. So hope in Him. Endure. Hang in there. Long for Him. And then a fourth thing. Um, live now in light of this. And, and how do you do that? Well, for example, we know that a new creation is coming so ask yourself these kinds of questions. Um, in a new heavens and new earth, what would a relationship look like? Well, I bet in a relationship in the new heavens and new earth, there would be healing, there'd be reconciliation. Um, so, so, so seek those things now in light of what will be. Personal example, in a new heavens and new earth, there probably won't be malnourished children. So let's work to, to bring malnourished children to, to nourishment in the here and now, because we know that one day God will eventually set that right. Does that make sense? See, see, knowing that new creation is coming leads us to live in light of the new creation coming. Um, we know that, that the nations will eventually be here in this new Jerusalem. Because we know that's going to be the case, then let's go to the nations now with the word of the gospel. Um, let's do that because we know that will be. 
Um, there's lots of examples. Um, we know in a new heavens and new earth, a new Jerusalem, a new city, um, a new creation with a city, that means there's going to be things bought and sold and traded. Um, so if you're going to be a businessman, then, then practice business now in light of what you will be one day with just practices and things that are truly helpful for people. Like What, what I'm trying to say is whatever your field, whatever you're into, whatever you're interested in, um, if you're going to be a nurse, um, practice nursing now in, in light of what will be. Um, and when you do that, you are actually participating with God in the redemption of the world. Um, when, you, when you actually live in light of what will be, when you live with this kind of hope, when you bear and you hang in there and you endure, when you offer and when you live as a, citizens, a citizen of this new Jerusalem in the here and now, this is what happens. Um, so those, those are some ideas. I don't know what it means for you tonight to really just cling to Jesus and this Jesus who's presented here. Don't know where you're feeling broken and hurting, um, but I pray that you take a, just a lot of hope, um, that you really endure, that you long for Him, and that you live now in light of this. Let's pray. Lord, everything in here is just almost too much for us to bear good grief, Lord, and I pray that you'd help us know what it means to follow you. God, I pray that you'd help us know what it means to um, long for you, God. We pray that you'd help us know what it means to hope in you. Lord, we pray that, you, that you'd help us know what it means to just bear and hang in there and be faithful to you, even when it's so hard. Um, Lord, I know there's students in this room that just struggle, Lord, with anxiety and fear and worry and pain and hurting. And God, we know that those things will one day pass away, Lord. And more than anything, we know, God, if we're your people, we will see you face to face. And we pray that you just give us great energy and joy and anticipation. Lord, thank you for the story of what you've done in our world. Thank you for bringing redemption to your world. Thank you that you've written us into this story, that you've brought your love and your grace to us. Um, Lord, would we live in light of it? Would it change everything about us? Lord, we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.